Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. And this is episode 95. That's funny. Our uh, episode number ends in what we're going to talk about here. So, uh, you can... <laughs> What a transition. I just, I just, you can tell we're professionals yeah. here. We are so-called podcasters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, you two uh, had a nice little experience what, over the weekend. You, you joined up a little with a little open source effort. Yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit in the last episode about uh, contributing to you know, something uh a little bit more meaningful and uh you know we found this project five calls uh the idea is you know make five calls to your local representatives to affect change you know basically getting people more actively involved in uh in their government and uh you know decisions that get made so it's it's an interesting project. They had a web application and an Android application already, and some folks volunteered to do an iOS app. And Alex and I both uh, chipped in a little bit and did a couple PRs and tried to help out where we could. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people working on it. There's a lot yeah. of people who had passion about this thing. And uh, uh, Ben Shearman from NS Screencast is kind of the the guy who is in charge of uh, working on the iOS app because he kind of got there first, started working on it. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a fun experience. There's a lot of people trying to work on it at once, so I'm like, I'm gonna get this setting screen done, and <laughs> you know, it's. But you need a setting screen before you can launch an app. So uh, the app either is about to launch or has launched by the time this podcast airs. Uh, We'll put a link to the in the show notes to there to it if if it's out there yet. Um, it was pretty impressive how quickly everything came together. Uh, you know, there are definitely a couple of people who pulled most of the weight. You know, we just made fairly small contributions, but uh, you know, it's you know just in a matter of a few days, it went from nothing to a working product. So it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, hopefully it gets out there, people use it, and it has uh has a positive impact and uh, and also i did swift so you you'll be happy sam yeah uh another shipping I, app I, I, although i changed my you, your proposed resolution was i forget convert all my apps to swift or something which wasn't going to happen so it doesn't really meet my resolution which i adjusted to be uh ship it in my main apps so i still did some swift and i actually did some uh What's the Android one? Did some of that the other the other day too. So I'm Java? I'm working on new stuff. No, not Java. Uh, Kotlin. Kotlin. Yeah, I did oh. some Kotlin after after the went to the Android groups Kotlin talk, and it looks so easy. So I tried it out, and there is some annoying parts converting like a little toy project I had over to it. But after I got it up and running, it was fairly straightforward too. So yeah, yeah, that's so. Uh, Alex, now you know how Argo and I feel every uh october when we do give camp although this is one of those projects where you definitely had no trouble getting behind it and getting motivated which yeah yeah can, yeah it was uh something i was excited about yeah that could sometimes be a problem at github or at give camp but 
So that's cool. Yeah, it all depends on your project. Yep. Yeah. So Argo, you enjoyed you enjoyed Swift then? I didn't enjoy it any more or less, I think, than than I have in the past. It's Swift, it's cool. I don't know. I'm things are always different, so I'm I'm still a Swift noob, but Yeah. I mean it's it's not a bad language. I just have no intention to to want to convert lots of stuff over to it. <laughs> I don't blame you there. Though it is it is hard when you've been working in Swift for a long time to then have to go back to an Objective C project. So we'll we'll see what happens to you when you say spend a few months predominantly in Swift and then have to go back to some of your old code. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that works. Uh, so I guess one other thing that's happened this week uh, is that, and we didn't talk about this last week, but in the 10.3 beta. Um, Apple kind of has uh, put a fairly aggressive warning for 32-bit apps uh, whenever you launch them, basically saying this app will no longer work in future version of iOS, which I think before they had a little warning that was like, this is making your phone run slower. Kind of bit-shaming, as, as you call it, Sam. But <laughs> No, that was Alex. But I agree with the term. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, so that's a thing that's going to happen. Uh, I can't imagine many people who are listening to this podcast will have a 32-bit app out there unless it's some something they've abandoned. And I guess it's it's that point where you decide you just take it off the app store or do you have to fix it up? Yeah, and as a user, you have to really think about whether you want to continue to invest any time into an app that hasn't been updated for so long. I mean, it could be working fine for you as a user, and it does everything you want, but... I don't know. You know, the other thing is, somebody was saying that it wasn't that long ago that Apple was selling iPhone 5Cs in India still, like maybe a year, year and a half ago. And if iOS 11 wasn't going to support 32-bit apps anymore, that would be kind of, uh, I don't know what word to use, but bad? (laughs) We'll just go with bad. Well, in theory, uh, if you have a a phone that, doesn't get updated to, to iOS 10, uh, you're already kind of limited by the apps that are still supporting that that older OS version. I mean, I think when when the 32-bit apps, it's probably just going to be like they won't show up in the App Store, but if you have them on your phone, they'll still run and do whatever they were doing before. So I don't know how big of a deal it'll be for people with, with those phones. And, and I guess you can still compile if you're maybe you're targeting the older SDK. You could still compile a fat binary that had both 32 and 64 bit support. I don't know. I guess that's something we'll have to see. The devil will be in the details. I mean, people get a new phone every couple of years, anyways. I mean, the Android guys deal with this all the time. You know, a phone comes out and they don't even get the next OS version. So, eh. yeah, <laughs> I think it's a thing that happens. Yeah, but if if you just bought the phone, let's say a year ago, new from Apple, and then in two years, basic what would be two years, because you know, eleven won't be out till next next fall or this fall, so that. That would mean that your phone would no longer be able to take new updates. Granted, that hardware is ancient at this point, but we're talking about countries that get the hardware, uh, you know, long after it's been released anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a super fan of the whole Apple strategy of 
selling last year's device at a discount, but they make a buttload of money doing it. So I don't know. It's just kind of like a reality that I've accepted at this point, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not a good thing to ever buy Apple's entry level thing because, you know, they were selling four S's even not that long ago. And, you know, like eight gig and 16 gig models of four S's not all that long ago. And by the time that they, they got the latest OS upgrade, it was a horrible user experience. Nine on a, on a 4S is just, it's pretty much unusable. Eight for that matter wasn't that great either. But anyway, so yeah, 32-bit apps. We're starting to see the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel for them. Another thing that, another thing that Apple is uh, switching up soon is their changing their game center uh, certificate they sent out a kind of a developer notice about that because the last time they did that like half of the game center apps on the app store just stopped working uh which was super awesome i think a lot of them would just like crash on launch (laughs) um and there was an api to where it basically tells you to use um a specific url to pull your notification from but uh early examples just had people hard coding this certificate that they use for validation. Uh, so it's changing. Uh, I think February 11th is when the new certificate is going to go live. So if you have a game center application, just double check to make sure you don't have like a hard coded, uh, URL or if you've packaged that certificate with your app, you should probably make a change ASAP. Um, <laughs> Uh, it, it's nice that Apple has given us a little bit more heads up this time that it's going to happen. Uh, I guess they learned their lesson after they just swapped it out and assumed everyone was using their API as, as intended and not how all of the early samples were. <laughs> so just, just a little uh, PSA for those people who have a Game Center app. Seems like maybe they should buy a certificate that lasts more than a couple of years. Well, the, the first one did, and I think the... Part of the reason they updated the certificate last time was they wanted to have like a more secure one. It had like more more bits in the keys and all this stuff. Okay, so it's using a bad older not, encryption algorithm. Yeah, it's using an older encryption algorithm. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why exactly they're updating the certificate uh, so soon after that one, but maybe it's maybe it's a similar thing where okay, that other one has been cracked and we need to. Who knows? So a quick follow-up from the last week's episode where we talked about the new built-in support for ratings in uh, in StoreKit. Uh, there are a couple articles that came out uh, arguing you know, whether or not that's a good idea. Uh, you know, one article in particular you know, arg- made a pretty strong case that, in general, that asking for ratings is is not a good for the user it's just disruptive um and uh there was another article that talked about if if you're going to ask for ratings you know don't use a an alert that's a modal you use something like a notification that can be easily dismissed and or kind of pull down expanded and and do your ratings in line rather than taking you out of the application um that seemed like a reasonable compromise. Uh, the and we'll link to the articles in the show notes. But uh, that one uh, 
has a radar filed against it. So if anybody has a strong opinion about it, you know, the author's asking other people to dupe the, uh, the radar to see if they can get Apple to change it to make it a little bit more user-friendly. What do you guys think about the whole asking for ratings? So I understand from a, a business perspective why you would want to get ratings. And I'm sure, Argo, you'll, you'll expound on that more. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> but from a usability perspective, I, I do agree just in general that, that pop-ups are what you would call a, a UI fail. Yeah, anytime, but I, I would say it's more in the realm of a, like a confirmation dialogue. So, you know, if you delete a file, you don't want to get, okay, file was deleted successfully, press okay to continue. You don't want something like that or, you know, um, purchase was made, hit okay. You want something that's more in line with your UI, more. Uh, blended, or if the user doesn't even have to know that something was successful, they can just assume success. That's even better. So if you delete a file, it just goes away. You don't get a a uh, good job, buddy. You, you you actually delete the file message. So from a usability standpoint, I definitely that would make me feel good. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> good job, buddy. You deleted a file successfully. You can go home today. You can get a little achievement badge. Yeah, play with your coloring <laughs> book. <laughs> um, no, seriously, every you know, it's like Windows, where it's like, okay, you just installed an update, now press OK to reboot, or or whatever, or you just made a setting change, press OK to reboot. It, it, that's those types of things are are definitely disruptive and annoying. Yeah, but there are definitely cases where a modal. Uh, dialogue is valuable where you, you want somebody to make uh, a a thought out decision you know granted most of us just click okay without reading but you know the with your example the deleting a file you might not want a confirmation after you deleted but you might want to ask are you sure you want to delete this because we can't get it back well or, that's what the, are you, the are, trash are you sure for. you want to buy that tesla <laughs> um you know, you're about to spend $80,000. Are you sure? But see, that's where things like undo come in because I have my trash bin and I can right. choose to empty it or not. And if I say buy something on Amazon, I can go into my orders and, and cancel that order pretty quickly. Right. And that that's kind of a different approach to the user experiences. Don't make the user think, you know, just do the smart thing and give them give them a path back if they do something destructive um it was kind of yeah kind of like when uh mac os got rid of the the save and encouraged apps to do auto save because why should you have to press save you know it shouldn't just save automatically for you yeah but after a dozen years my hands still hit the command s all the time yeah i mean on on the topic of like is is a modal a good design pattern i think or a good ui paradigm i guess might be a better way to say it uh you know probably not most of the time but i think there are some cases where it's probably for the best use it's kind of like a, a singleton um you know you don't want to throw singletons all over your app but sometimes you only want one of something so it kind of has to be a singleton you know 
Yeah, they're definitely there are definitely no absolutes, and like the uh, what's it? There are some apps where they'll you'll do something and the 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 app needs more information to perform that. You know, like I hit the share button, so the share sheet comes up. That's essentially a modal. Yeah, it's at the bottom of your screen and not in the middle, but it's still a modal, and I just need to go and complete some extra work. And so that's that's okay. That makes sense in that in that respect. And I, I guess I never really was bothered by the the uh, app rating boxes, at least not to the extent where I'd ever want to delete an app or anything. I just hit no. In most cases, you can silence them after the first time, or at least until you uh, reinstall it. Yeah, and there are definitely unscrupulous apps that will ask you yeah. for ask you over and over again yeah so i think you know you could argue what apple is doing is they're providing a path to do it in a in in a structured way because they know people are going to do it anyway Uh, which to some degree gives them license now to reject those apps that are doing it in an unscrupulous way right and they don't have to police them that much they just can say use this api yeah there's there's two sides of me of of my thoughts on this one uh it's kind of like there's the the user side like you guys are talking about but then there's the uh business side like you know uh, in order to keep my business alive um there's lots of apps that are competing with me and you need to uh, to do if if all your competitors are doing something you almost kind of have to do that so there's this there's this real like pragmatic struggle like what like what's the compromise that is good enough to not put me out of business but uh doesn't suck for users and if it sucks too bad then uh you know that might put you out of business too and in your argument or you know to put some context around it is that those reviews actually have an influence on your position in the app store oh yeah it affects your search results um it it affects which what people click on when they do searches or when they're looking through apps and whatever list they're looking through them in i mean uh the way apple has structured the app store has made ratings very important and they've done some things that we touched on it last episode but uh, every time you do an update uh, your ratings reset so Part of the the reason that people get prompted so much is because they need to do that in order to get their rating back to where it was before after they release an update. Um, you're kind of rewarded for not releasing lots of updates, uh, which is probably not the best thing for users either. So there's all, all these kind of competing forces. And I, I feel like uh, if you don't have a lot of competition then yeah, I'd rather just have a rating dialogue, you know, in your about screen or setting screen or something like that, somewhere unobtrusive. But uh, you need, if, if you have any competition at all and your other competitors are doing it, you're kind of forced, uh, and Apple forces you with the, with their resetting of ratings too. So I feel like an, even a notification is not, is gonna put you at a disadvantage uh, in most scenarios where you're trying to make money off of your app. 
as uh, as compared to doing the modal dialogue. It's just kind of one of those necessary evils. Would it be nicer for the users if you didn't have it? Yeah, but you might not even have those users at that point. So <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a, a tough balancing act. Well, and if Apple sw- changes how you know th- they don't reset after every review and they're strict about enforcing the rules that they have uh for these app rating dialogues uh after you know the official ways is out there then maybe we can get to a kind of a better place where there is a a happier medium for users and uh people who are trying to you know make a living in the app store um but we're definitely not there right now and apple doesn't really have a history of super strong enforcement um on that kind of stuff where it's something that's kind of policy related you're still going to be able to link directly to your your review page in the app store from your app so it's really hard to police apps that show a dialogue and link you straight to the app store i i, I don't know how they're gonna effectively police it it's kind of like the rules about no marketing and push notifications <laughs> <laughs> yeah good luck yeah, it's funny that they have that in there. I mean, even Apple violates that rule on a fairly regular basis when their App Store app pushes notifications about things. So, yeah, I don't think app rating dialogues that are modal are going away anytime soon, but maybe we're edging slightly towards something that's a little better. Yeah. So our our last topic of the evening, and I guess this is, kind of follows along with the, the follow-up topics we've had, but earlier in the year, we talked about React Native, and I said something about, well, let's see what Artsy has to say a year into their conversion. And lo and behold, this week or so, they published a, yeah, this week, they published an article about their retrospective with uh, Swift at Artsy and React Native. Uh, they mentioned they posted the article because they listened to the podcast and we asked about it, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I I skimmed through it, so I didn't see that part, but I'm sure it was in there somewhere. Definitely. It's it's a rather long article, and they go into a great deal of detail. So we're probably not going to cover every aspect of it, but there's probably a couple of you know key things out of that article that are are worth mentioning. Yeah. So the long story short part is that. They they did love Swift, but they are still loving React Native. I guess you could say that they're not necessarily loving the JavaScript part because they have a, another link in there about their 2017 JavaScript stack, and it includes TypeScript, which is basically, basically JavaScript with types and it's uh, transpiled into JavaScript, which is it's always the a thing to me when you see people saying like, yeah, this web development stuff is great. We've got this JavaScript thing, which kind of sucks, but we get this other language that compiles into JavaScript and fixes all of its problems. And you can go out on Google and find probably 100 different languages that all translate into JavaScript. It's nuts. I'm kind of surprised, and maybe there is already that there, you know, a Swift to JavaScript uh, transpiler. Well, I know that uh, Jet 
Brains has been working on a Kotlin backend or Kotlin compiler that will compile to JavaScript. Yeah, I think that is out in some type of beta form. Uh, and there, there's other ones. Uh, Elm was one that was making waves a while back. That's another another uh, functional. It's like a it's a functional language that uses like FRP principles. So it's it's kind of where things like Redux got their their start from. But yeah, the. It's been a benefit to them, and they said it's been great for their apps that are what you would call API-driven apps, um, which was which is basically, I guess, an app that is useless without its backend. So if you they don't run well in a disconnected state, but might be a be a polite way of putting it. And they made the point that you know before the. The iOS team had its own tool chain, their their own language, and you know they they worked in their own world, and they weren't really able to you know fix their own API issues. They had to you know rely on on others, or um, you know it was a totally different tool set. So moving to React Native and this other tool set let them you know work on on every level of the application, and and you know same tools across all the platforms. So, you know, you can definitely see an argument for that case. Uh, one interesting point, uh, you know, they positioned it as a pro, but they talked about how because it's open source, you know, they're able to go in and, and fix their own issues. You know, you know, Xcode, if there's a problem with Xcode, you know, we can't go in and, and fix it. And we have to just deal with the, the fact that it's broken or UI kit's broken, you know, and work around an issue. And uh, so, that, you know, they talked about, you know, forking uh, Visual Studio Code um, editor that they're using for TypeScript. Uh, and, you know, I thought that was kind of an interesting position to take, you know, talking about actually, you know, working on the tools that they're using and, and contributing back to these open source projects, which is, is a good thing. It's just kind of reminded me of you know, some of these hardcore woodworkers that not only, you know, make furniture by hand, but they make the tools they use to make the furniture. And, uh, you know, that's that's great for some people, but not all of us have the luxury of time and resources to maintain the tools as well as the application that we're building. You know, Artsy has a team of 25 developers. So, yeah, and, and you know, they're very fortunate to have the luxury to contribute back to these open source projects, but I'm not sure that would work for everyone. Yeah, especially the, say, the the garage programmer that's working on his own stuff at night. You know, the last thing you have time for is to go create another framework so that other people can benefit if you're trying to get a product out the door. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my dumb rating dialogue and and... I don't want to have to be forking Xcode to to get it to work properly. Yeah. Well, that sounds horrible. I'm glad someone has the the free time to be able to do that. But yeah, and you know, hopefully the tools get better and the the frameworks get better that uh, you know we can all benefit from it. But you know, React Native is still. You know, I don't know what the current version is, but I don't even think it's made it to point five yet. It's it's still 
not a one release and is still changing fairly rapidly. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting that React Native just introduced the button uh, a few months ago. So before there wasn't even a way to do a button. Um, yeah, that blew my mind. There wasn't a first class component called a button. So, you know, people had to create their own buttons and handle the fact that it, it might have a different animation or behavior on Android versus iOS versus whatever. And not um, only that, but accessibility. Yeah. Part of the benefit of using native widgets is that you get accessibility in there too. And if you're using a view to represent a button, then all these blind people are out of luck because they don't know what your view is. They don't know that they can press it unless you're going through some extra steps. And, you know, there are some basic navigation things that weren't there until uh, a few releases ago. So it's it's definitely still very immature. Uh, it, it's definitely something we're keeping an eye on, you know, JavaScript aside. it It's one of the more compelling cross-platform solutions out there. It's but it also has some cons and, you know, we've run into teams that have had challenges with it, you know, with the fact that it is a moving target. And, uh, you know, for some people it's like you're, you've got to build the bridge while you're crossing it. Yeah. You know, at my former client, they had a contracting agency do a react native app for them. And at this point, I don't think the code has been touched. And so if they were to actually have to make some changes to that code, <laughs> it, it, it wouldn't compile. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be a monumental effort, I'll, I'll probably almost a rewrite. I think this is kind of ironic in all the discussion that you, I think like every other episode, there's a long complaining session about converting over to Swift 3. <laughs> I, I know it's not as bad as, as the React Native transition, but I just thought I'd point out the irony there. <laughs> It's it's well received. Yeah, Swift three uh, in in my eyes is a little bit of a blemish in, in the uh, the journey of Swift because it it's been a lot of work for a lot of people to to get to Swift three from Swift two, um, more work than you know most of us would like, and arguably the changes are for the better, but some of them are very superficial, almost aesthetic changes. But, you know, it is what it is, and, you know, hopefully going forward, it, you know, we won't have such a major issue um, keeping up with Swift. I guess one of the differences in this case is that with Swift, with the Swift 2 to 3 conversion, Apple has basically ripped the Band-Aid off really quickly, whereas with React Native, you've got a whole armful of Band-Aids, and you've got to rip them off slowly, one at a time. Death, oh. death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they have uh, releases every two weeks, and they may or may not include breaking changes. So, yeah, if you if you walk away from the project for a month or so and you come back, uh, there's a good chance it, it won't build anymore. Uh, I, I think they have recently changed the way to upgrade applications. You know, it used to be a very painful uh, process, and I think that's improved a bit. But uh, I'm, I'm not close enough to it to to know all the details. Yeah, the tooling will definitely mature over time, and I would assume that the product itself will 
at some point mature enough it'll get to a point where it's feature complete and then it'll get crafty and somebody will move then everybody will move on to the next thing the next big javascript framework i mean facebook seems to have no lack of engineers who are available to work on this stuff so i imagine they'll keep working on it this is pretty hard this doesn't (laughs) seem like it's a side project either it seems like something they're doing no, they're to heavily support invested in this this is it, this is not parse which or or is finally shut down but <laughs> you know a lot of google ideas that came out of their 20 percent time that you know it was just a side project and you know six months later it's abandoned uh, this doesn't necessarily feel the same way there's at least a pretty strong community around it that's moving it forward uh, so between facebook and the community you know, I, I think if it wasn't for React.js and all the web developers, it wouldn't, you know, have as much momentum. But, you know, with Artsy and a lot of companies, the argument is, hey, we're, we're already doing React on the web. We already have the skill set. So, you know, it's not a big leap for us to do this in mobile as well. Actually, in the case of Artsy, their, um, their web developers were using some other uh, backbone-based framework. So they weren't even using react but i think they'll probably move to that in that direction but there is the the translation of javascript skills yeah yeah it's still a similar tool chain yeah even though they do say that they don't have an android version yet because you still need somebody that has expertise in the platform you know ios developers should not expect to create a React Native app in iOS and then just recompile it for for Android. You will still need some Android expertise. And that was you know, something that Facebook was really good about uh, reinforcing is the idea that this isn't a write once, run anywhere framework. It's, it's meant to be a learn once, write anywhere. Right. And uh, you, you still see people make the argument, oh, I, just, I don't really have to do much of anything and I can build it for Android or, you know, the other platform. But that wasn't really the intention. It may be evolving into that, but um, it was more about having a consistent tool set and skill set, not so much about sharing code. Well, that's about all the time we have left right now. Um, maybe we'll pick up with Artsy again in another year to see if they are still holding on to React Native. But uh, for the time being, do you guys want to tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. I'm at Alex Argo. And I'm at Sam Corder. The podcast is at Shared Inst. And uh, if you want to jump in on our conversation about any of this stuff, you can get a invite to our Slack channel at chat.sharedinstance.com. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, uh, ratings and reviews are much appreciated on the iTunes podcast network. And where's the alert box for the podcast? Yeah, that's a feature we need. We need need to get on that. (laughs) Let's call Marco right now.